2: Good afternoon, I guess, depending where you are, what side of the pond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, knowing one's own, Van Helsink. And welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. Unfortunately, my co-host, Mr. Richard Felix, is out trying to get elected to some ridiculous seat at Derby or Derby or whatever it's called, but I have a great guest today. Uh, it's someone who I really look forward to meeting because uh, he is coming over here. Uh, Miss Doctor, excuse me, Karen, okay. Karen, you there? Hello. I cannot hear him at all. Okay, if you bear be with me, I cannot hear him, but I guess he can hear us, so welcome here. I love technology. Yeah. Then again, I mean, it's kind of with what I do and what Karen does, I mean, dealing with the ghosties and stuff, that uh, we all know they can affect electronic devices, so who knows? Karen probably has this, like, huge black cloud hanging all around him with all these... Spook's uh, disrupting everything he does, but I have no clue. (laughs) We're trying. We're trying. (laughs) Anyways, uh, while they work on that, um, I do have a couple of things I want to mention coming up. Uh, The Dining with the Dead is coming back to the Wyndham Restaurant this month. Uh, It will be on the 24th, that is a Monday, and uh, tickets will be going on sale this week. Uh, I will actually be speaking along with my good friend Jeremy Dontremont, who is a lighthouse specialist, and we'll be talking not only about the haunting at the window restaurant, but also we will talk about haunted lighthouses of the world and including some uh, special ones, including Portsmouth Lighthouse, where... uh, Dr. Karen O'Keefe will actually be uh, doing a ghost hunt along with the rest of us in the end of August. And also we'll talk about uh, our investigation here as well and some other neat places like New London Ledge and Wood Island, which uh, New London, yeah, say that again. Wood Island Lighthouse, uh, which is on an island off the coast of Maine, uh, will be opening it up to 18 people
0: uh, How are we got
2: him. Karen, you're there. Hello. Yes. Yeah, hi. Bring Ron, up the hi. I, I really can't hear him that well.
0: Hello. Can you hear Karen? me now?
2: I can. I can hear you very well.
0: Brilliant. You're Finally got English. through. <laughs> How are you? Uh,
2: Good, how are you doing? And uh, for those who don't know Dr. Karen Karen O'Keefe, he is a parapsychologist. He does hold a degree, unlike a lot of parapsychologists, so-called. And um, he is also most noted for his uh, role in the popular TV series Most Haunted.
0: Yep, that's me. And I'm sorry about all the technical difficulties. There must have been a, a skeptical black cloud hanging over me.
2: Mm, I kind of mentioned that. I mean, well, let me ask you this: you've been you've been dealing with the paranormal for you know quite a few years now. Uh, yeah. Do you find that you you do have like more than the normal or the average share of, of electrical and and uh, computer problems and that type of thing?
0: Um, that's an interesting question. I guess maybe it, since actively being involved in investigations, which is now over 20 years, I've become more conscious of it. So, you know, because they're the sort of things that are associated with poltergeist activity, for example, I'm more conscious of electrical problems, those sort of things. And... Maybe I wasn't conscious of them prior to that period. So maybe they were still happening, but I wasn't, you know, clocking them at all. Um, It's difficult to say, but it's not unusual for people to report that if they are involved in investigations and they do poltergeist cases that it does happen to them, you know, even outside of the investigation.
2: Uh, Yeah, I find it interesting. uh, We we did a a show on iTunes called Signs, which uh, I did with... uh... My partner, who is a uh, transmedium, and this is more on the spiritual end, but uh, she told me about uh, you know you know after I met her, we used to go like you know drive someplace and everything, and she'd say, oh look two two two, that means uh, don't stop the miracles happen, and then uh, five five five, and then you know seven seven, and and she, where are you coming up with this Just, no look at the license plate, and uh, they were there, and it, it's really interesting, but since I've become aware of them, it seems like. I see more of these signs than I did before I was unaware of them. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Yeah, it does make it does make a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, as a, as a scientist and yourself, you know, with a scientific background as well, and at least interest in that area, it's one of those things where what we'd like to do is start to keep a record of it to make sure that it is, you know, genuinely happening. Because if I say to somebody, if I say to a friend, okay, uh, you know, I want you to look out for Volkswagen Beetles from now on, a particular sort of car. Um, if they then do that, they'll suddenly realize that they are all over the place. They'll suddenly start noticing that they're there. And so are we looking at something that is to do with synchronicity, you know, to do with, uh, you know, some sort of other element? Or is it merely coincidence and, and psychology and that we're asking somebody to look at something in particular or find meaning in in something in particular. So I'm impressed when those things happen. I'm more impressed when we start to keep a record. Even like yourself, if you're keeping some sort of mental record, that this stuff is happening more regular than normal, then it's a bit more impressive.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, you, you look at that and then, you know, for instance, uh, how many times do you see uh, like a series of three... Uh, Digits together in a license plate. Okay, there's six digits in a license plate, and three of them together. Okay, not just in there. I mean, what what are the odds? So You really have to look at that as well. But then it it, it just goes. I mean, it just boggles your mind because then you really have to look at. Okay, what time of the day was it? You know, uh, what? How many cars do you think were on the road? I mean, it, it's phenomenal yeah. that w- with the amount of data you would have to crunch to make it any kind of significance uh, scientifically.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but then again, it is something, when you talk about data crunch, it, it is something that's feasible. I mean, it's interesting, you know, that it's happening to you in uh-huh. North America, and perhaps it's more significant there. If the same thing were, ha- were happening to me or anybody else I spoke to in the U.K., then I, then I wouldn't have to do any data crunching because, of course, our number plates are completely different to yours, and you right. can't even find three digits together. It right. doesn't matter whether they're the same ones or not. Um, yeah. So there's going, there's going from that where, you, you know, you've got zero occurrence happening to, in North America, maybe there's a database somewhere of number plates, and it's a simple count situation and then you've got you know kind of uh, your denominator you've got how many times that occurs in North America and now you look at how many times that occurs in North America and then if you're just driving along and you're seeing you know three four five of them even in a day well mm-hmm. you don't need to do much math that that sounds significant
2: I, I know that that's I mean that's it, it's the more I deal with the paranormal to be honest you, the, the more it boggles my mind uh... It, You know, because supposedly there's signs, they're meant for you in particular, yet these numbers are there that everyone can see, correct? So are they seeing them, or or are you just seeing them? I mean, it's really... I mean, if it's a sign for you... Maybe we're the only ones that's seeing them. Uh, when you come over here, and, and for those who don't know, uh, Dr. Karen O'Keefe is coming over here at the end of August and the first part of September to do some uh, events and uh, investigations with us. Uh, this mm-hmm. is something I would like you to try to experience yourself.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm I'm open to it. Like, you know, we've spoken a number of times on this show and, and uh, your other show as well. And you know that I'm open-minded to all of these possibilities, and willing to investigate it. So if you're saying it's happening, then definitely when I'm in North America hanging out with you, then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have my little police notebook in my pocket, As and well every time you it happens, <laughs> yeah, and every time it happens, mark the time and the location and everything. yeah. Why not?
2: I, I just think it's fascinating, I mean, because when it, when it first happened to me personally. Uh, you know, I mean, she would say this, oh, you know, you know, this is, and I said, yeah, whatever, you know, it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. if you say so. But then it started happen to me, so then I began to understand the, the concept of it, and it, it's really right. phenomenal.
0: But it's an interesting question you raise about, is it only you seeing the signs? I don't. Because immediately, you know, if, if there's a significance for 777, for example, my immediate question would be, well, what does that mean for the person actually driving that car? That's because right. they'll be seeing that they'll be seeing that number every day, you know. Uh, do they even that? see it?
2: You know, you know what I'm saying.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. As in, as in, it becomes so second nature that they don't—they're not aware of it, or even right. that the number is not there. And well,
2: um, I mean, it'd be really freaky if the number wasn't there. Yeah, but they're—they're <laughs> yeah. they're not cognizant of it. They're not uh, consciously right. aware of it.
0: Right, like a clock on a wall or like, you know, a picture on a wall that we'd soon forget that's there or our keys, yeah, anything like that. Anything that's kind of mundane, routine activity that we just uh, shove away in the dark recesses of our mind and forget about. If they have 777 on their number plate, yeah, they probably don't think about it twice, do they?
2: And and how many times, I know this has happened to me, I don't know if it has happened to you, but... um you'll be uh, looking at something like, uh, I don't know, let's let's talk about the picture on the wall. There'll be a picture on the wall, and you've seen it a thousand times. And and you look at it, and all of a sudden say, geez, I didn't notice that uh, clock in the picture there before. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but, you know, maybe I I, I didn't notice that there before. Was it always there before? Are we really just seeing it the first time? I mean, what, what, what...
0: but part of that, part of that is uh, um, an area of psychology to do with automatic processing. It's this thing that psychologists know about that we kind of naturally, um, you know, go through the motions, as it were, on a daily basis and do things automatically. And the classic example is if you look at a clock that has Roman numerals on it, and you look at you, you know, you ask people if it ask ask you know if there are any listeners out there now just to draw a clock with the numerical numbers on them. One, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 12. And I guarantee the majority of people will do one, two, three, and then for four, one, you know, a one and a five. Uh, One and a V, I mean, to indicate four in Roman numerals. And yet you look at any clock that has Roman numerals and none of them have uh, an I and a V to indicate four. None of them do. The next time you see a clock... Look at it, and you'll see that the number four is not an I and a V. It's actually three lines. Three
2: lines. Oh, i's. That, that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I'm talking, you know I'm walking out, because I know I have a <laughs> Roman numeral uh, clock. And one, two, three. Now, you're saying four is not four, or three is three?
0: Yeah. Four is not four. Four is, is it? Four should be an I and a V, shouldn't it?
2: And mine is.
0: Yours is. (laughs) Unless, uh,
2: wait a minute, unless I'm seeing it, it's really not there. (laughs) I I do see an I and a V, believe it
0: or not. Oh, okay. I and a V, well, it's one of those rare clocks then, because generally clockmakers, to kind of keep it symmetrical, Uh bizarrely, the way they keep it symmetrical is they have, they, they look at it as four eyes indicating or four lines indicating the number four. So generally with those clocks, that's the case. But anyway, that's not paranormal. What I'm saying is it's, it's automatic processing. We don't register that it's there, and it's right. exactly what you're saying. If you've got a painting on the wall, you may discover things about that painting years after you actually put it up on the wall. And is it one of two things? Is it, number one, that you weren't paying attention to every single detail, that you just gave it a cursory glance um, or is it that, uh, you know, you're discovering something later on? Your mind is opening up to something? You know, it could be any number of reasons.
2: And, and, and the thing you, uh, you we have to talk about is, is tarot card readers. Because tarot card readers, uh, that's what basically what they do, is they have a deck of cards, and the deck yeah. of cards really doesn't change. It's, it's printed, it's the same. But how yeah. do they get a different reading for each person uh, on that particular card that they draw, they actually see something different each time.
0: Right, even though there's, there's kind of a, a, you know, a basic foundation for each card in terms right. of the significance of what each card is, what you're saying is that they build upon that basic idea, for example, the death card or you know, love card. They build upon the basic information of that. Pertaining to that particular individual, and are you saying well, that they get the inf- they get the information from the card itself?
2: Well, see, I think I'm. Uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm kind of like okay. If we're, uh, this is what I understand, a tarot card reader does a good one. It, it's yeah. not that they the meaning of the cards. I mean, they know the meaning of the cards, but it's it's more than that. For instance, I'm trying, I wish I had a uh, a deck here. I know the. Uh, okay. But, for instance, if I, I look at, I get a furry duck, unfortunately, but, I mean, I'm looking at the card, and the card has the same picture on it all the time, but when the reader looks at it, okay, he sees certain things in that picture that stand out. They're always there, right. but for right. this particular person, those things that stand out mean something.
0: Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. The Think interesting thing sense? about that is, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, a best way, the best way to put it is the, it's almost as though the cards are speaking to the reader. Exactly. That's what they're doing. They're saying, okay, for this particular person, this client that you've got in front of you, it's this part of the card that I want you to focus on. Or this is important for this particular pers- person. Right. Either this particular corner, or the colour of the card, or something about the figure in the card, these sort of things. I find that interesting, Um, and it's kind of a slight nuance from what I understand from tarot card um, readers, and it makes sense. Yeah, well, I've heard the expression, the cards speak, but in the way you're describing it, it's, uh, I'm trying to think whether, is it actually the card speaking, or the claim as the claim is with a lot of psychic claimants is it that they're getting the information psychically so are they getting the information from the card itself or are they getting the information psychically from the person in front of them but they think it's coming from the card do you know uh, what i mean am card, i confusing the issue <laughs> yeah,
2: no 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 this is good this is really good actually you know the cards the cards are like a tool in other words they they um Yes, you, you're using your psychic uh, energy, psychic power, whatever it is. That's what I mean, I, I, that. I can do a tarot cards okay? I, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a bunch of crap, but uh, I know I can do tarot cards. I know I can give someone a reading. Right. Now, I, am no, I have no special powers. I have no whatever. But I understand how this works, that when I look at a card, right. there are certain pictures, certain symbols, certain whatever that will stand yeah. out. And when you focus on that, okay, maybe that's how you get your reading. I mean, I can't, I, I, ter- you know, totally don't understand it, uh, but I, yeah. I know how to do it. Okay, it's like a pendulum, for instance. Uh, a pendulum is, is a tool. It's a focal point. Uh, you use that to to draw your energy. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a focal point, yeah. basically.
0: I guess I guess it's like you say. It's a focal point. It's a tool. It's the same with, you know, any oracle device, whether yes. it's tea leaves, whether it's going back to the, you know, the original Greeks that would look in a uh, um, a pool of blood. They'd look at the reflective surface, which, of course, is where scrying came from. Any of these particular tools, it's the similar sort of thing that's going on. You know, it's, it's, it's opening yourself up and then getting the information, or that tool being either a conduit or or Assisting you in some way, assisting your psychic ability in some way, that sort of thing. Yeah, right. Interesting. It's
2: it's strange. You know, I I bet you. You know, I I I don't see why you couldn't read cards.
0: Well, I well I can. Oh, there you go. But I can't. But I can't. But I can't read them in the same way that you can, unfortunately, because Uh, you know, you know my my history in terms of being a parapsychologist and also with my master's and my PhD, it means that even though I'm very, very open-minded to, uh, all aspects of the paranormal, um, for things like psychic readings, it's quite difficult for me to kind of step away from doing things like cold reading or using psychology in some way to get information about a person. Or if I suddenly get a hit, it's very difficult for me to kind of step back and go, okay, uh, that could have been a psychic flash or as I would normally say, well, it could be guesswork. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the difficulty for me is I'm genuinely open-minded and I think it's more so the case with haunting investigations, but when it comes down to psychic readings and mediumship readings, having done my PhD on it, it's very difficult for me to separate the psychology from the psychic side. So I can do it. I can do tarot readings. I can do runestone readings i can do uh palm reading as well but i very much fall i very much fall back on the psychology of it and i'm a lot more comfortable watching people who are naturals and who claim that they are genuine psychics that that that's what i find more fascinating because i think if people if if people and maybe when i'm in the states maybe i can do a couple of these readings and i can show you that from my perspective i'm just doing psychology um but I find it a lot more interesting to watch people genuinely at work, genuinely doing psychic stuff.
2: Hmm. I mean, that's that, that's interesting. You, you mentioned uh, you said something about uh, I I was I forgot the term, and I thought it was a good term that you mentioned something about guesswork or, or something. Yeah. Uh, when you were
0: psychic you, flashes, just, yeah, and guess. Well,
2: power. more than psychic flashes. You said something wh- whether it was psychic or it was
0: yeah, or a simple guess. A guess. Or guess what? So, yeah. what, what is a guess? Well, that's the thing. If 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 I'm sitting with somebody and I say, um, okay, you're having problems with somebody called Mark at the moment. Now, is that a voice in my head that's a psychic ability? Is it an, is it an intuition that I've got? Or is it a simple guess? That's what I mean. As a... As a that's why I like to watch people who are naturally psychic do it. Because what I'm trying to explain is when I do it, mm-hmm. then, then I'm constantly interpreting. I'm constantly being a scientist. I'm constantly looking through the rational explanations for when, I, for when I do it. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think, you know, having watched hundreds and hundreds of mediums of psychics, they all talk about, you know, uh, kind of reducing that skeptical or knocking down that cynical barrier – and just being more open to it. And I think it's very difficult for me, if I'm doing any of these readings, to knock down that cynical barrier that I have. And that's why I'll say, if I, you know, if I suddenly get an amazing hit, like I get a name that hits, something like that, then I'll say, in my mind, or rationally, I'll think, well, how can I distinguish guesswork from a psychic flash for myself? Right.
2: That's what I mean. What it, Maybe there is no difference. Maybe that we all have this ability, and a guest is really a psychic flash. It's just something. I mean, what is a guest not a guest? I mean, you, you know, I mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when it's psychic, yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. it, it, maybe we all have this and we're really guessing at something that, that we're really just drawing something why do we choose for instance if we have a, uh, a, uh, a, a flip a coin with heads or tails why do we take the heads uh, it, you know is it just yeah. a guess or is it do we believe that that's going to be you know is yeah. it that something that we can see
0: yeah I think yes that's true, and I think, you know, part of it comes down to I- interacting with psychics and finding out, you know, when they get these brilliant hits, these, these you know, highly accurate that are not gen- not vague, they're not ambiguous, you know, they're not something that means something for the majority of people, these, these highly accurate hits, um, like you say, are they guesswork, are they psychic flashes, but in talking to the psychics, it's trying to understand how do they feel at that point, do they feel... That they've genuinely got a hit themselves. So they do do they feel that it's not just guesswork, that they're more confident about that information that comes through. You know, because we're talking, you use the analogy of the heads and tails. Heads and tails 50-50. Yeah,
2: I but know, I know. Like, you no, know,
0: but I know <laughs> I know what you mean though. But that's the thing. You know, with uh, uh with psychic readings when there are these uh, supposed Incredibly accurate hits. We're not talking fifty-fifty. We're talking, you know, a probability, a astronomical probability, to get a first name, a second name, to get, you know, addresses, to get stuff like that. Uh, um, and it's and it's understanding for the psychic what is going on in their head at that particular point, and that's what I find fascinating, whether we're dealing with something paranormal or not. I just find the idea fascinating. What is going on in their head? Do they feel confident? Do they feel like it's a guess? Do they feel like it's genuine, you know, psychic information that's coming through?
2: You know, it's funny. It is it's Like I said, I, I do this a little bit now, but, you know, I always did it as just to, as an experiment to try to understand it. And it seems like the more, let uh, see, unaware of it, the better you are, the more non the unconscious you are, the, the better it gets. Does yes. that make any sense at
0: all? Yes, yes it does and it kind of relates to uh, lots of areas in the, in the paranormal, that parapsychologists are aware of and, and of course you'd be aware of too you know, stepping away a little bit from the psychic stuff is um, when eyewitnesses in haunting cases talk about a sense of presence You know, or hearing a voice behind them. Often, often with these eyewitnesses, you know, it's very different within the last five to ten years, because... Oh. What's that? We just had a... Did you hear that? Hello?
2: Okay, looks like we are on a break, I guess. All right. Uh... Oh, not yet. I don't know where that came
0: from. Oh, no, we're That's not on a break. We
2: just had... that was interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah, we just had Wayne Gacy or somebody come through. That was funny. <laughs> uh, we must
2: have opened <laughs> a portal to hell or something. I, I'm quite not sure what happened there.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I was saying, I was saying about eyewitnesses. You know, we're talking about. Um, not Actually,
2: phone, we are going okay. to break right now. <laughs> oh, are we? Okay. Yeah. So hold on. Uh, don't don't hang up on us, and uh, we'll be right back after the uh, following messages. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International on TojiNet. Uh, hopefully, Parallax and beyond. And we'll be right back.
1: Welcome to TojiNet Radio with a cutting edge. family. and The shows are paranormal, not that stuffy but button. informal. We'll the in topics that are that abnormal, the family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous, as we give awards to the Parrax family. snide and remark and you've got snark combine lisa Mena and valia alvarez on monday nights and you've got deep dish snark monday nights at 9 8 central part of the her insight network when you've had enough at work or at home and you're ready to laugh join lisa and value for their no bs look at the world and the people in it They'll be serving up a no holds barred take on pop culture, current events, entertainment, and family matters. With segments like Accidentally Helpful, TV is now my hobby, and Who Sucks This Week. Deep Dish Snark delivers something for every girl who enjoys life with a dash of sarcasm. Lisa Manna is a former TV news anchor turned stay-at-home mom. She's making sure if anyone screws up her kids, it's her. Valia Alvarez suffers life as a jack-of-all-trades, mistress of none. By juggling a PR career, marriage, motherhood, and more. Don't miss Deep Dish Snark with Lisa Manna and Valya Alvarez. Monday nights at 9, 8 central. Part of the Her Insight Network on toginet.com.
2: We are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International on TogeNet, PowerX, Ghost Channel, and the on. And my very special guest is Dr. Karen O'Keefe. Do I have to call you Doctor all the time? Because that's that's going to no. get a little, <laughs> little little old. No, you don't. <laughs>
0: you call me Karen. That's fine. No, that's uh, not that's Karen. Uh,
2: you, you know, it's a, it's it's all good stuff. But uh, I, recently, I was on a another radio show, and uh, it, it's one of those. It's it's not a positive radio show. They like to uh, uh, they they like to let me put it this way challenge people. Is that a nice way of putting right. it? Okay. Yeah. Challenging people, yes. But they but they did bring up a couple of valuable point, uh, points, which I, I found interesting. I know you, I was going to have you on the show, and I, I do want to discuss you more. Uh, So I'm going to just give out the, the, the questions that I have, and, and then we can address them. Uh, the first one, mm-hmm. is, is there a scientific method into paranormal investigating that that would be the first one is there a protocol that that should be used and number two uh, is there a difference between a paranormal investigator and a paranormal researcher and, and what are those differences so so those were two interesting things uh, that that was brought up in this uh, crucifixion that I took uh so anyway so let's start with the first one is there a true scientific protocol for paranormal investigation? if there is what is it how can can we share it with our audience
0: um yes well if this if you think about the scientific method in terms uh, at its most basic level it has uh four four steps so four um point observation So you're observing something, observing uh, or describing phenomena. The second point is you then try and come up with some sort of hypothesis to explain the phenomena, and then you use that hypothesis to predict the existence of other phenomena. So you're kind of testing it, in other words. So the fourth point becomes the performance of kind of experimental tests, so you're actually testing the phenomena. So observation, do we have that in... Haunting investigations. Yes, we can observe phenomena. At least that's the claim that we can observe light anomalies. That we can observe um, auditory phenomena um, in rare instances. But it happens. Can we? We can observe the visual side in terms of apparitions, those sort of things. So they happen. We observe them. Then it's a case of formulating a hypothesis to try and explain. The phenomena. Um, now, if you formulate a hypothesis saying that the apparition that you've seen is a spirit from the afterlife, so some, so, uh, a ghost, you know, it's, it's, it's a discarnate entity, if you will, um, how can you test that? And I would right. argue that you can't. In science, you can't. Because you have to come up, the idea of science is coming up with some sort of experiment to test your hypothesis, and to have the phenomena occurring in the test, but to be sure that there's no other explanation for what's going on. Okay. That's essentially, you're trying to test it, and I would argue that for some of the phenomena that's experienced in haunting investigations, we can't actually test it in terms of the paranormal explanation. What we can do is test some phenomena for the natural explanation, or for the natural hypothesis, and then almost, tick, almost disprove that. So let me, let me put it in a basic way. We know that um, if somebody sees an apparition, it could possibly be as a result of um, infrasound at a particular frequency, right? Low frequency okay. sound. We know right. that it can affect the eyeball in a particular way that you, you know you could see a shadow and you could think that therefore you've seen a figure. Now, somebody's seen an apparition, the hypothesis is, okay, is it infrasound? We can test for infrasound. We can test to see if that's actually there in the location. If we find that it's there, then it might be a possible explanation for what's going on. If we can't find it, then it means that we could possibly discount that as an explanation and we might be dealing with a supernatural one. The problem is, I guess, um, I guess, in trying to explain or trying to answer the question, I think what I'm kind of saying for each individual phenomena is uh, it's almost impossible to have a genuine scientific method in the field to look at these things. Because even if we're looking at, say, infrasound, right. we'd have to be testing for it at the exact point that a person sees the apparition. Um, if you've got a location where there's repeatable phenomena, so there's constant knocking, for example, an auditory phenomena, then you could test your hypothesis in that sort of environment. You could test to see if it's the plumbing. You could test to see if it's the wood. You could test to see if it's beetles. Um, you know, you could test to see if it's somebody knocking with their feet. And I think that's the scientific method. You can use it when there's repeatable phenomena that occurs regularly. So a simple answer would be, can we use scientific method in haunting investigations? When there's repeatable repeatable phenomena um, and reliably repeatable phenomena, I would argue, yes, we can. When it's spontaneous, as in just an apparition or it's something that happens once, you know, and it's random, then we can't use scientific method. No. Okay,
2: Okay. so that, that's very that's interesting. A... And, and the that's way quite... they're right, I mean, they brought up the, the issue of control. Yeah. Uh, what is your control subject? What is, you know, it, it's... Ah, that, that is difficult to do on the field versus in the laboratory. That yeah, was my not, answer, is it, it, that you're really doing field research and not yeah. laboratory research.
0: Yeah, but it's not impossible. You know, I've done some research at Hampton Court Palace back in 2000. Yeah, where we tested the the issue was that the most haunted part of Hampton Court Palace is an area actually called the Haunted Gallery. And it's along that particular area where people report sense of presence, they report, uh, you know, um, touching sensation. Some people actually see uh, the Queen being dragged along the Haunted Gallery from hundreds of years ago. People hear screaming that sort of thing however as a skeptic the first thing i would say is we're dealing with an area that's called the haunted gallery so are we dealing with suggestion and what we did over the course of two weeks is test that idea using scientific method we took we took members of the public and uh, for half of them we said in a little introduction that yes it's true the haunted gallery is the most haunted part of Hampton Court Palace. What we'd like you to do is walk around the haunted gallery and on a floor plan, mark and describe if you have any unusual experiences. To the other half of the people, who are unaware of what we'd said to the the first half, we said, actually, uh, the haunted gallery is not the most haunted part. There's another part which is more haunted. So therefore, we gave them the suggestion that another area was actually the most haunted part. And put them into this other area and got them to do the same thing, to fill out a floor plan uh, marking any unusual experiences. And what we were testing was the idea that by simply suggesting that an area was haunted would be enough to give people the experiences. And we disproved that. That wasn't the case.
2: Oh, really? That's
0: interesting. Yeah, it absolutely was not the case at all. We didn't get a, um, a difference. Um, we found that people were genuinely having more experiences in the haunted gallery than they were in the non-haunted part. So there was something else going on. Could be normal, could be paranormal, but what we managed to disprove using scientific method was that it wasn't suggestion that was going on at the haunted gallery in Hampton Court Palace. So it is possible to do lab work in the field, but I understand what you're saying. It's very, very difficult, and let's be Let's be clear, we're dealing in the main with field research. That's what it is, and you're absolutely right. Okay, so is it? let me ask you the next question. Is there a difference between a researcher and an investigator? <laughs> um, that's a tough one, because you don't hear the term field, you don't hear the term paranormal researcher or field researcher as often as you do the term investigator. Um. I would argue, I don't think it's just semantics, I would argue that there should be a difference between researcher and investigator. Investigator implies somebody going into an allegedly haunted location, and they are investigating for the ghost, investigating for the presence of spirit in that particular location. Paranormal researcher... I wonder if there's a slight nuance there, and we're looking at somebody who is.
2: I perhaps- actually have a theory on this too, so when you're oh, done, yeah? we'll.
0: Yes. Well, no, I was going to say with paranormal researcher, maybe what we're looking at is somebody that's um, more towards the academic side, or more towards looking at alternative explanations. Um, perhaps you know, going into it in. in in more depth it's not just about the actual investigation of that location it's about doing research around the topic perhaps what's your theory
2: i think the biggest difference between the, the, the two of them is that the investigator that that the researcher excuse me shares yeah. his evidence whereas an investigator doesn't do that as much. In other words, a researcher might publish all his EVPs, might publish all his photographs and so forth, where an investigator who is is doing a particular job, other words, he's investigating this haunted location for, uh, say, the homeowner. And so he's yeah. more concerned of getting his evidence or his lack of evidence to the homeowner for the, the decision rather than putting it out to the community for to have it scrutinized. I'm not saying they can't be the same, but I think that's the difference between
0: the two. So you're quite happy to say then, because there are a number of investigators out there in North America and Europe and investigative groups who do publish their findings and they anonymize the reports to kind of protect the identity of private residents. You Mm -hmm. know, they do, they do put their reports out there for the scrutiny of everybody else. And so you would say that in those particular cases, you'd be, a happier describing those investigators as researchers, yeah? right? What
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they may, they may be still still doing that investigative role, uh, or you know, I, I'm I'm kind of thinking, you know, like. An investigator is somebody like uh, a private detective. You know, somebody hires them to, I know you, you don't get paid, but somebody hires them to investigate this particular thing to see if their wife's cheating yeah. on them. Well, to we'll see if their house is haunted. And they give that particular evidence to the person that has hired them versus a researcher who is like an academic who who might do that investigation and say, okay, uh, yeah, I'm doing this as part of a case study. Otherwise, we words, we're, we're trying to investigate whether hauntings really occur in uh, ranch houses throughout the world. So uh, we'll yeah. publish this information so that other researchers who are doing the same type of research can scrutinize it and use that for their own hypotheses. I mean, that's kind of what I look at it as.
0: Right. I think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And um i 'm just i'm i 'm a big fan of investigators sharing their findings mm-hmm. and so you know returning them researchers and i think it's it 's the only way forward basically is uh you know at one time we had if I talk about the u k for example we only had a handful of groups going back to the fifties and they would be openly sharing their cases, and there 'd be cases that could then be scrutinized later on, and we're still, you know, looking at them today even. They Mm -hmm. form a great database, and I think it's very useful for investigators to do that, and not just because of their findings, but also for the community to kind of talk to each other. Karen,
2: I think I lost you.
0: I did. But they cannot, can you hear me now?
2: I can, I can, okay. I did lose you for a minute there.
0: Okay. It's not just about publishing the results of, of cases or conclusions of cases. It's also about sharing methods. It's about sharing theories about what's going on. But also, you know, it's about, you know, group sharing ideas about how you even present those cases online or, you know, in magazines and journals and that sort of thing. Um, but I think it's definitely a step forward, this, this sharing of cases. It's, it's, otherwise, the field just becomes stagnant.
2: Well, I mean, I think it's what the reason you get into paranormal uh, research or investigation, I think that's the driving force behind it, for instance. So, I mean, it really is. I mean, if you have uh, someone who, okay, I'm going out to prove the existence of the paranormal or just prove it, Uh, versus someone who says, I'm trying to help a homeowner, you know, so it's different. It's like, it's like for instance, an everyday doctor. An everyday doctor yeah. treats patients all along the way. Yet a major hospital does research studies to, you know, find methods that can help lots of doctors make lots of diagnoses uh, in the future. Right. Right. That's so true. not every doctor shares their information with the hospital, although if they were contacted, I'm sure they would. Uh, yeah. But. I mean, so uh, to me, that's what, what I kind of see. as. A, and and you know, ever since uh, Most Hearty came out and the Ghost Hunters and the rest of these paranormal shows, uh, Ghost Adventurers, is that, I mean, there's a lot of lousy methods of investigating. And, and yes. I didn't mean to particularly edge out any one of those shows. I'm just saying, in general, a lot of people come away with the wrong ideas of how a paranormal investigation really should occur or, or what is even yeah. what happened or even how particularly units work and stuff. I mean, it, it's mm. just, uh, so I don't know how much our our research is really diluted by what's going on or if it really is mm. helping.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And, and you're right to mention, you know, the shows and all of the shows as well. They have... Different ways of doing things, but ultimately they're kind of you know they're each of them are representing a particular method, and you do see it. You do see groups out there using that exact method, but there has to be a little bit of critical thinking going on in that what you what you're watching is a television show, albeit television shows that are claiming that they are televised investigations. But at the same time, you know you've got to think about the method that applies in the field. You've got to think about what works, you know. And I'm not, I'm not being arrogant and saying that, you know, a more scientific kind of psychological based way of going about things is the best way. It's just the way that I prefer. And other people say that, you know, have have methods that's a more spiritual approach, and that's fine. There isn't just one way of approaching the paranormal or approaching a haunted investigation. But I think people have to not so much take their cues from what happens on TV. Because as you know, and as I know, it does often produce sloppy methods. Exactly.
2: Now, now, um, I, I do want to ask you a question about a parapsychologist. Uh, when one becomes a parapsychologist, how do they become? What, what courses do they study? Uh, what makes uh, a parapsychologist... An expert, on, well, I shouldn't say an expert. Well, I kind of, yeah, I guess they are experts because they're uh, more expert than a layperson. But uh, I mean, so how, how does one become a psychologist,
0: parapsychologist? What type of courses do we study? Well, um, uh, just to be clear that. In terms of parapsychologists in the world who are qualified to doctorate level, to PhD level, Mm -hmm. we're talking we're talking approximately fifty or sixty in the world at the moment. That's it. Compared to yeah, it's a very small group compared to the hard sciences like physics, chemistry, and biology, in which there are thousands and thousands. Actual parapsychology parapsychologists who have completed a PhD in the topic, yeah, 50, 60 tops. Um, in terms of being regarded as a parapsychologist, your research academically, or if you're working for a private institution, has to show or researching a parapsychology topic, and that could be anything from ESP, PK, hauntings, poltergeist mediums, all of those things, you name it. If you join what's called the Parapsychological Association, then you're ultimately regarded as a parapsychologist. But you can only do that by getting uh, references from other parapsychologists. So it's kind of an invited club, as it were. And you can only, you, you can only get in there and get recognized by other parapsychologists on the basis of your research and the basis of your qualifications. Now, the majority of parapsychologists, they just have a psychology undergraduate degree. And then, when you go to postgraduate level, they have a PhD focusing on parapsychology. But there are no uh, degrees in parapsychology, so no undergraduate degrees in parapsychology. There are some colleges out there that do you know a semester in parapsychology, or do a module in parapsychology? For Correct. example, I think I think um, West Georgia uh, um, in Carrollton, in Georgia, still does one. Um, I know for a while UVA University of Virginia did, because there was a couple of parapsychologists there. Various places around North America and also Europe do kind of semester courses. In addition to that, there are online places where you can do courses. Lloyd Auerbach has one in California. Correct. Um, I have one as well, theschoolofparapsychology.org um, where you can do a foundations course just to learn generally about parapsychology. Um, so there are a couple out there that I'd recommend and certainly I'm recommending Lloyd's and mine for obvious reasons but there are, are all ones out there that I think people have to be a little bit careful of where they promise a qualification in parapsychology exactly but it's but it's not actually that people have to kind of you know be careful about what they're promised um i've seen some online parapsychology courses where you know they take your money and you read one book and you get the qualification and that's not gaining a qualification in parapsychology. Even Lloyd Auerbach's course and my course is a little bit more in-depth in that, and you do you learn about every different aspect of the parapsychology. In addition, there are some courses out there that give you qualification in parapsychology, and uh, you learn how to read auras on the course. Really? Yeah, and that's not parapsychology. Now, if you describe it as an aura reading, then fine. You know, I don't have a problem right. with that, but... Don't describe it as parapsychology because that's—it's certainly not that.
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting is that uh, you you know I never really wanted to get involved in uh, uh, ghost hunting or any of that type of stuff. I mean, that was never my intent in life, never my dream in life. (laughs) But uh, it's just that if I always call myself Van Helsing because Van Helsing is, is of course, the. yes uh the the from brown Stroker, uh, a man of science yet versed in the arts and crafts, and that's kind of what i think and this is am talking just for myself now I'm not trying to push this on anyway it's this kind of I think the, the person I want to be investigating I, I want to have a good scientific background I have a degree in environmental science, granted, it's only a bachelor's, uh but it it's given me the scientific background to at least uh, use the methods and and the uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, to to at least try to not debunk but I hate that word debunk because to at least investigate uh, if there are natural causes of things and yet I want to learn about the spiritual end of it too for instance cha- tarot cards and and dowsing mm. and all that stuff that's uh, that's part of the old school before there was school.
0: And like you say, as well, you work very closely with, you know, a trans medium right? as well. So, you know, you're kind of open to every particular approach.
2: And that's kind of like what I particularly think a person needs to investigate. uh it- yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean that it particularly it, it, that's the only person you should have on a team. I think, you know, a parapsychologist being on a team would be great because uh, no one knows everything. Okay, I have a certain amount of knowledge that I have acquired or have learned, yet, someone else. Has a, a different uh, knowledge that they've learned, and they can actually be critical at the same time, which is is very good. And the same with someone who is extremely spiritual. I can look at it uh, scientifically. Oh, well, this is this, and they can say, "Well, look at this," and on spiritually, yeah. and, and they. It, it, that's the whole thing. It, there has to be questioning. There has to be it definitely questions at all all the time uh, in yeah. order to get anywhere with this.
0: And I think you I think you're absolutely right. You know, a, a true investigator or paranormal researcher is somebody who multidisciplined. you know an ideal person would have so much knowledge or so many qualifications in so many particular areas that they could tackle every aspect of a haunting investigation Mm -hmm. however you and i recognize that in some cases we would have to ask experts even though i'm a parapsychologist and i'm aware of and have knowledge of and even experimented with things like EMF, um, humidity, I know about thermal images, um, infrasound I made earlier on. If I get a case and the knowledge goes beyond what I know, then if there's a low-frequency sound aspect to the case, then I would call an acoustic engineer. If there's an EMF you know, situation that I don't understand or I need to get you know, better equipment, then I would get in touch with somebody with a physics background. You know, recognizing that, like you say, that it's useful to have lots of different, um, you know, lots of different knowledge domains on a team, because then you can, you know, you can tap those.
2: And and the other thing, too, is sometimes if we're too involved in just one particular aspect is that we can't see. It's just like that picture again. We've seen that picture a thousand times and we don't see that clock that's in it. But with someone else who just walked in the room, say, oh, look at the nice clock in the picture. And it's yeah. a new pair of eyes. Someone looked at a different perspective than we do.
0: Yes, and it relates. I do a lot of forensic and Investigative, uh, Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really uh, excited about that, because I
2: believe you're going to do yeah. a course when you come over here, and, and yeah. uh, that should be really, really exciting. I'm sorry, to, I, I didn't mean to interject yeah. that, but
0: I, I really... No, no, yeah. no, I, will be, I will be doing, yeah, forensic and psychocriminology criminology stuff in August when I come over, you're right. But um, you're saying about a fresh pair of eyes, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing that I found in the investigative community in terms of criminal investigations, that often with high-profile crimes, missing person cases or even serial killer cases, is that the team, the investigative team involved in it, can get so entrenched uh, in the case and often quite blinkered about what's going on that sometimes, certainly in this country, they'll bring in a rookie, for example, somebody that's only just started training as a police officer or somebody that's only just started training in psychology somebody that doesn't have perhaps contaminated knowledge about the particular case will step in and and look at it with fresh eyes like you say and may Uh with their background or you know with their freshness look at it in a very different way and take the investigation off in another direction and i think it's very useful to apply things like that to paranormal investigations like you just said i
2: mean it's it's very, I think it's very important that uh, we look beyond our own eyes. Uh, it, we, it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. Anybody, who, uh, we have one quick question in the chat room. I, I want to get to before I uh, mm-hmm. left, but yeah, it's, it's important that that uh, we have different points of view, and and no, nobody is one hundred percent right. But uh, actually, mm-hmm. someone was talking about the certified ghost hunting certificates out there. Quick comment on that.
0: Uh. Quick answer would be grown. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think <laughs> it's similarly, uh, com- um, same thing that I said uh, before. People need to be very critical, very aware of what they're getting into, and I don't think it's right that um, there are these, you know, certification courses for a number of different reasons. Number one. Um,
2: you have to make this quick because it's just about okay. Time.
0: Who are these people offering the certification? Are they really qualified in being able to give that information? And the other thing is it may give people a badge of credibility to go out and unfortunately act unethically and not be proper ghost hunters. So I think I'm very, very wary of them indeed.
2: Well, Dr. Kung, uh Keith, thank you so much for being on the show. It was great, uh, great, great conversation, as I like to say. I mean, it, that's what it's all about. And I really look forward to meeting with you in August in September. And, uh, hey, maybe we can both learn
0: something. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks again, at least we'll, have a,
2: at least we'll have a few pints together,
0: anyways. <laughs> oh, that's definitely going to happen. We'll see a few ghosts from definitely Gordon after a few beasties. pints.
2: Good night.
0: Oh, Good night. And things that go bump in the
2: night. In the